Welcome to the Mountain Park Church Podcast. We're excited to share this week's message with you. Our mission is to allow God to work in and through us, and we'd love to hear your story of how God has been working in or through you. Email us at mystory@mp.church and tell us how God has been working in and through you. Oh man, I'm excited to be here. And I wanna tell you why I'm excited to be here. Because I get to talk about Jesus. And Jesus is why we're here. Jesus is why we come together. If, you're fir- if this is your first time here and you, you, are, you come, come to church and you're, you're not really sure why we come to church, here's why we come to church. Because Jesus died for us. He is on the throne in heaven. And he is everything to us. Can I get an amen, anybody? We are excited. We are not a dead church. We are an alive church because Jesus said that when he left, he would send the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, to be with us and empower us. If you've never heard that word, I didn't say uh, parrot. I said paraclete. It's a Greek word, but that was a weird moment for me to use it. And somebody maybe, I could see a teenager being like, did he say parrot? Is there a, Jesus did not send us a parrot. That would be kind of cool, though. (laughs) Oh, man, I'm excited. I'm excited to open up the Word of God today with you. Um, And so this is going to be kind of an old-school service. Everybody, let's go retro, okay? 1980s, everybody, we want to go back there? Let's go back there. Steve Gosen does. He loves the 80s. Right, Steve? (laughs) Turn with me to Galatians 5. So I, wrote, I was writing my sermon, I was, I was trying to get it ready, and I, I had written a bit of it on my, on my computer, and yesterday morning, wake up, go to turn on the computer, and it doesn't turn on. So this is why it's an old school throwback, kind of 1980s. I have an original manuscript I wrote, and I'm going to flip through the Bible. So if you brought your Bible, you can flip with me. So it might take me a little while. I have these beautiful little, like... My wife gave me these little, what are they called, tabs? Sure. (laughs) Tabs, and we are pumped. And I want to ask you a question today. Do you have a dream for your life? We all do, right? We all have this dream life that we've thought of. Right? Like we all have this dream life that we're like, yes, this is the life that I want. And I want to tell you today that we are going to investigate the life that Jesus has for us and the dream life that Paul wants all of us to walk in. And it is good news for all of us because it doesn't matter if you are a doctor today living out your dream or if you have lost your dream and it's destroyed. Can I tell you my dream? Here's my dream. 16-year-old Alex has a hoop dream. Okay? He has a hoop dream. A hoop, oh sorry, it's a basket, sorry, Brenda's like, what is that? It's, I have a basketball dream, a dream to be the next Steve Nash, Canadian kid, I play, I play my basketball, I love basketball, I'm, I'm decently good at it, and I have this dream that I can do it. And so I'm going about my business, and I, I have a dream of that, that people will know the school I go to because Alex Smethurst went there. Can I tell you that people know the school I went to because there is a professional basketball player that went there, but his name is not Alex Smethers, it's Steph Curry. Come on! There has been moments in my life where I've told my wife, Steph Curry is living my life! (laughs) He's living my dream! 
But here's good news. Because it doesn't matter if you are living your dream or if your dream has been stolen by someone else. No names, Steph Curry. There's good news. Because in Jesus, the dream that you want can be yours. So let's turn to Galatians 5. Galatians 5, verse 16. Now we're gonna have to be careful here. I read this article that told us, uh, it told me that um, most accidents happen within two miles of your house. Why is that? Because you drive it so often that you actually check out. And so you miss the stop sign that you were supposed to be paying attention to, or you're just not there. And so, so often we do that when we read scripture. See, we know passages and so we check out on them and we miss out what the Holy Spirit wants. And so we're going to read the fruit of the Spirit. And anybody who's been to VBS or a kid's program ever, they know. I was going to bring up bananas and oranges and talk about. They know the fruit of the Spirit. So we can be dangerous and we can zone out and miss out what God has. And so today we're going to ask that the Holy Spirit illuminates his truth. I love I came across this quote this week. Um, as I flip through my notes, it says this, A.W. Tozer, a great man of faith. He says this, the Bible was not given for our information, but for our transformation. For our transformation. So Holy Spirit, we're here. And what we want is your transformation. We do not want a download of information just so that we can be pious and know religion. We want to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. It's all about you, Jesus. We love you. We need you. Be with us. Speak to us. Transform us. Amen. All right, Galatians 5, verse 16, it says this. So I... Say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The, na the sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions, but when you are, when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the, the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful passions, idolatry, so sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these, let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. And if you're highlighting in your Bible, I want you to highlight verse 24 and 25. This is where we're gonna sit today. 
Those who belong to Jesus or Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not be conceited or provoking one another or be jealous of one another. Isn't it interesting? Have you ever not lived up to someone's standard in your life or failed to live up to your own? I remember I went to this elite basketball camp um, that we got invitations to and I remember I I was really, really pumped to go because this was like my, I was realizing my dream and all of the coaches there had played internationally, were D1, um, Division I, NCAA basketball, um, scouted and played there. And so they, they knew their stuff and it was great. And I remember at the end of the week, we were gonna be kind of given a report card and that coach was gonna sit down with you and just break down your game and tell you how great you were. And I remember I sat down with my coach and the only thing that I remember he said to me, these motivating words, you are above average player, Alex. I'm like, wait, above average like what? Like above like the average in the NBA or above average like on the street? Because that's a big difference. And I remember how crushed I was that I didn't live up to the standard. You ever read the Bible though and that happens to you? You're like, oh, I'm, I'm trying my hardest. I'm doing my best. And then you read a passage like this and you're like, yeah, I think I identify more with list one than I do with list two. Is that only me? Well, let me tell you, Freeway Alex, he identifies with list one more than list two. You know, because you got those people that just drive in the fast lane at like 110. And they don't move over no matter how many times you high beam them and flash your high beams. They just don't move, right? Anyone? No? Okay. Sorry. I'm just venting. But listen. Isn't it so true for us? Aren't there moments in our lives that we are like, man, when I look at this list that Paul, he talks about and he calls the acts of the flesh, man, those are so normal for my life. And if I do a self-analysis, man, those things, they come up a lot more than the fruit of the Spirit. Now, don't get me wrong. I want the fruit of the Spirit to be what everyone knows me for. And let's be honest. Believer or non-believer, churchgoer and non-churchgoer, everybody wants to be known for the fruit of the Spirit, right? Like, people want to be know, known as a loving father or a person that it brings joy into the room or, you know, that's kind when you, sh- you don't need to be kind. These are all attributes that the world, everybody looks at with good intentions and they love them. But how do we get them in our lives? See, Paul is giving us three steps today to the life you've always dreamed for. See, it's not about our career. It's not about necessarily what we're going to do in our lives, but it's about who we're becoming in our lives. Because I know people who actually have attained their dreams, but actually their life is falling apart. And so here we are. We want to look at Paul's We want to look at verse 24 and 25, and he gives us three steps 
to living the life that we've always dreamed for. And here's how he breaks it down. He says this, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross, that's Jesus, and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. And so there's three points. He has three steps for us to live the life we've always lived through. First, he says this, belong to Christ. He says, those who belong to Christ Jesus. He said, this is, you want to live the fruit of the Spirit in your life. You want to be known for all of them. You want to produce them in your life so that they're just evident to everyone, even on the freeway. Yeah, you want that? You need to belong to Christ. And I love it, right? Because church is so good for those kind of phrases. Be like, yes, I belong to Christ. Person beside you, as a teenager, I used to grow up and be like, what is that? Yep, I do, totally. My mom made me raise my hand, totally, yep. Right, mom? But what does that actually mean? So here's what it means, it means three things. So in this step, I want us to think about, there are three steps today that Paul gives us. In this first step, there are three parts to the step, almost like from our hip to our knee to our foot, okay? So the first step is this. Paul tells us that we must believe in Jesus. So Galatians 2.16, flip with me there, first tabby. He says this, yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. We have believed in Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Jesus. Uh, the main point there is that it's our faith in Jesus. Are you getting the point? Paul is making this point. Again, let's flip to Ephesians 2. Verse 8 and 9. God saved you by his grace when you believed. Paul's not saying. Once you started going to church, once you started attending, once you did these things, no, 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 no. He says, once you believed, that's when you were saved. Man, this is good news. Every other religion tells you, you better make these steps or you're not in. Jesus says, believe in me and you are saved. Oh, Jesus is the bomb. He's the best. Believe in me and you will be saved. But here's the issue, right? Because the word believe for us in our culture, like, do you believe in Santa Claus? Like, you know, all these movies that's like, you have to believe. So it's kind of cheapened it. But it's more like this. It's more, it's, it's better translated to, do you trust him with your life? The analogy is this. You're taking a walk and you're in the wilderness. It's beautiful. You come across a ravine. Nah, ravine's too small. I'm not a, obviously a nature person. A big gully. I don't know. <laughs> Go with me, okay? I grew up near Toronto. Some sort of cavern thing. And there's a bridge. And you see people walking on it. And as you walk up to you, you think, I believe this bridge is real. I believe this bridge will hold my weight. But you do not trust that bridge until you take your first step. 
This is the picture we need to have. We do not trust God until we step with faith that our life is on him, right? So first we believe, but we've, but we've, we've got to take not just the believe, and this is where we have it, right? It's just, oh, let's just believe in God. And this is where we go. Like, okay, I'm going to believe in God. I'm also going to believe in karma. I'm going to believe in good things. I'm going to believe in all. I'm just going to take my chances with all of the religions, and I'm just going to believe. That's, the, that's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no way to the Father but through me. So what is he saying? We have to acknowledge something that is not very popular, even in church world nowadays. We must repent. See, the next part, see, we have to believe, but we have to believe that we need a Savior. And why do we need a Savior? Because we have a problem and we must repent from our sins. Jesus says this in Mark 1.15. No tabby on that one. <laughs> Silence is a shout out to Pastor Herm, who did this for a good 25 years before the computer came along. <laughs> Wait, no, sorry. I didn't mean that as a burn. I meant that as a shout out. <laughs> No, that's the opposite of what I was trying to do. Oh, the worst. All right, back to the word of God. Verse 15, Jesus says this. This is the first message that he's preaching. I love you, Pastor Herm. The time promised by God had come at last. He announced, the kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe. Repent of your sins and believe. We need to realize each of us, all of us, are sinners. And we must be saved by grace. It's not very acceptable in our culture to identify ourselves as, you know, we have sinned, but we need to understand that the point of Jesus coming to earth was to bring forgiveness through the cross because of our sins. And so we need repentance. And then finally, see, we all love superheroes because superheroes are saviors. See, and when Jesus is a savior, the world loves a savior. Oh, he's such a good guy. Jesus, that nice guy, he's good. He's just a good teacher. No, he's savior. Savior is great and we all love it, but that's not the end. The end is that he's king. He has to be king. Turn with me to Romans 8 or 10. Romans 10, verse 9 and 10. And it says this If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and it is by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. See, we all love that. God, save us. We want a, we want a savior. Oh, wait, you want me to change my life? I can't be doing this? Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. No, no, no. Savior is cool. Lord? See, that term Lord actually should be translated master. 
I love it. Paul says this in most of his letters. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, slave of God. No, this is like the 21st century church. Hello. We're like important people. We don't necessarily want King Jesus. No, no, no. We need King Jesus. You don't get Savior Jesus without King Jesus. Don't flip with me, but you, you can check it out this week as part of your reading. First Samuel 7 and 8. Here's what's happening. Samuel comes onto the scene. He is the judge, the prophet of the people. They come to him. They are in a really bad place. They're rebelling. They're, they're, necess- they're doing really bad things. And the, Pharis- the, the Philistines are destroying them. And so they turn back to God and they talk to the man of God, Samuel, and they ask him what they must do. And so they turn away from the worship of the other gods. They tear down all their idols and they turn back to God and he actually gives them victory over the Philistines and they are excited. And for the rest of Samuel's life, they're pumped that God is their savior. Chapter eight. They have this moment where they've started comparing themselves to the world around them. They're not content with God. They see God as their savior in time of need, not their king that they need him every day. And so here's what happens. <laughs> it's the whole, <laughs> everyone's reading it right now. But here's, here's what happens. They go to Um, the prophet and they say to him we want to be like the nations around us we want a king he said whoa 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 God is your king and he said we don't want we want an actual earthly king here's my question to you today is Jesus just your savior or is he your king Or are you comparing your life to the life of the world around you and saying, no, 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 I don't want that king. I want to be king. Because you can't truly belong to Christ if you're not willing to be saved by him and humbled before him. He is the king of kings. I love it. In in Daniel 7, it talks, in the prophecy, it says that he walks and he sees someone like the son of man ascending to the throne beside God. And it's Jesus. This is the Jesus we serve. Read Read Revelation 4. It says that they are constantly falling on their face saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. This is who Jesus is. He is not just our savior. Absolutely, he came to earth to die on the cross. But let's read Philippians. Go with me to Philippians uh, 2. It says this, better than I can say. It says, he was God. He did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privilege. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God 
and died a criminal's death on the cross. This is our savior, Jesus. But listen, it doesn't end there. Jesus didn't just die on the cross for our sins. He rose from the grave. And Paul continues and he says this, therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him a name that is above every name. And that name is of Jesus. Every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord, master, that to the glory of our God the Father. This is the Jesus we serve. He is not just our savior. He absolutely saved us from our sin and our disaster, but he is our king and he is in throned in heaven. Let's give him a praise, everybody, because we're excited that Jesus is king and we are not. Step two, first you belong to Christ. How do you belong to Christ? This is how. You call Jesus your savior and your Lord. And step two, you do this. You crucify your flesh. Turn with me back to chapter five. And it says this, those who belong to Christ have nailed the passions and desires of their flesh or their sin nature to the cross and crucified them there. Man, it seems, this is a hard one, right? Like this is not necessarily popular for us to, in, engage in this conversation where we actually talk about crucifying our flesh. It's interesting, this word crucify is the same word that they use, the exact term they use when they crucified Jesus. See, Paul's telling us we must crucify the sin nature in us. But doesn't that seem like counterintuitive. I mean, if you're like me, your goal in life is to make your life comfortable. Anyone? Is it just me? Like my goal in life is to figure out how to get Netflix and air conditioning and just sit on a couch while my kids are sleeping. Just sleep, please sleep. <laughs> right? This is what we are constantly obsessed with our comfort and our desire and our need. So why would we do this? Um, turn with me to Ro uh, John 12. This is why, because Jesus tells us a gospel truth that is different than the world truth. It is the real truth. He says this, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone, but its death will produce new kernels a plentiful harvest of new life. See, you wanna live a kingdom life that has the fruit of the spirit flowing out of it? We must crucify our flesh. So how do we do this? What is the how? There are two parts to this step. The first one is this, we identify it. Now we don't, we don't like this. You ever had somebody tell you what you're doing wrong? And you respond, do you know me? No, that's just me. But anyways, that, but that's, who wants to be told they're wrong? But this is why we cannot just have savior 
Jesus, we must have King Jesus because King Jesus gets to rule our lives and tell us how we act. We don't get to tell him what we do. He instructs us how to live, not because he is a tyrant, but because he is good. Here's the truth. We are going to be slaves to something. Turn with me to Romans 6. Verse 16 says this, don't you realize you have become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Thank you, God. Once you were slaves to sin, but now you are wholeheartedly obeying the teaching we have given you. Now you are free from, from your slavery to sin and you have become slaves to righteous living. See, the gospel is this, that the truth is that you will be a slave to something, either to sin and the world or to God. And let me tell you, God is a much better master than the world and sin is. Have you ever seen somebody wrapped up in sin that it is destroying their lives? They are not free to do what they want. But when you come under God, he is such a good king that he gives you the freedom you were desiring in your own choice. But he's the one who brings it. Crucify your flesh, two parts. Here's how we do it. We let the king identify what those sins are in our lives. First point which needs to be added to what we're doing is this. You are not a fruit inspector. You are not to go around to other people's lives and inspect their lives. I see the sin in your life. Let me just let you know what you did wrong today. Wife, not a good idea. You must identify your sin. You must crucify your sin. Oh man, it would be so much easier if it just said, you should identify their sin and crucify their flesh. Oh, I'm down. I can do this. Are you serious? I see all these people driving on the highway. They're idiots. I know how to, I can fix them. Right? But the truth is what happens is that he says, you must allow me to identify your sin and then you must crucify your sin. So here's what he says. He says this in, he gives us a list and he breaks it into three categories if you're taking notes. First is sexual sin. If you haven't noticed, sexual sin is a big deal to God because he knows it's a big deal to humanity. Doesn't matter, go through history, go through culture. Sexual sin and sexual problems are, are human not racial, not based on, on whatever's going on. It's based on humanity. So God identifies them. And he says this, it says sexual immorality. The list of sexual sins is based on a word called pornea, which is where we get our word porno, pornograph. Yeah, see, that's the person knows. Um, and so that's where we get that word. Right? But listen, 
Here's what the word means. It means any sex outside of marriage. That's sex you watch. That's any sort for form of non-sexual activity that is sexual activity. That's sex outside of marriage, even if you're in a committed relationship. And don't get mad at me. Talk to your king because he's the one who dictates what we do. And he says this, I've set up the gift of sex and it's beautiful and powerful and awesome. But I need you to know that it is best for you in marriage and destructive outside of that. And so when we fall under the kingship of Jesus, he dictates this stuff. And so he first lists sexual sins. Then he goes with spiritual sins. Sorcery. These are ones that are either godless worship or even worse, dabbling in occult and the enemy and demons and spirits, horoscopes and all of those things. You think, oh, come on, it's just in a in a newspaper, what are you talking about? You don't wanna mess with things that are not of Jesus. You will be a slave to something, the world or God. You choose. Paul doesn't give us a, eh, you know, or you're just like a super cool Canadian and just in the middle. Those are no options. So first we identify them. The last one is relational, divisions. Selfish ambition. These are all things that we, we actually, it comes up in us. Yesterday I'm dealing with my daughters and we are so close to leaving on time and then I can't get her socks on. She won't put her socks on. And like a little dragon that was asleep inside of me, it woke up. And it wasn't so nice. And it's like you have this dialogue inside and you're like, what is, what? where did, she's three, bro. Relax, right? We have to let God identify those sins in our lives. And we have to allow him to point them out and not run from them or justify them. And then we have to do this. Then we have to act. James 1, 22 says, come on, flippy note. Verse 22, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. This is often how we identify repentance, right? I, t I tear up, I feel bad. Oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm never gonna do that again. Oh, I'm the worst. That's not biblical repentance. That's not biblical repentance. That's emotional manipulation for you to get out of trouble. Oh, don't get me wrong. 
I do it. Okay? We all do it because we want to just get out of trouble. But Jesus, he's not interested in just getting you out of trouble because he went to the cross and got you out of trouble. He wants you to live your righteous life, your holy life, the life that's set apart for Christ. This is what he wants. And he says this, to do that, you must crucify your flesh, which means you must act. Once I identify your sin, your job, it's interesting, the term here is different than Galatians 2.20 or Romans 6.6, which says you have been crucified with Christ. It's something that happens when you believe. But this, this is actually on us. We must act. He's saying you, you Alex, must take your flesh and crucify it to the cross. Oh man, that's a good thing to preach but a hard thing to live. This week God's been working on that. Do you crucify your flesh, Alex? Let me give you two attitudes towards towards the cross and towards your flesh being crucified that you need to have to, for it to win. It must, first of all, be decisive. It's interesting that Paul uses the word crucifixion. It is the most brutal death that anyone can have. He could have just said, kill, just kill your flesh. No, 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 he wanted you to see the picture of what Jesus did on the cross. And he says, I need you to take your flesh, your man, your sin, and walk it up to the cross and nail it there. And it must, here's what happens when you nail someone to the cross, it is decisive. It is not if they will die, it is when they will die. This is what happened to people when they were crucified. It was not something of just punishment, it was death and they were going to die. Second thing is that you must have the attitude of it being pitiless towards your sin. Oh, it's so cool. Paul gives this example and, and, a, and a theologian gave this analogy of what a Roman guard is supposed to do when someone is on the cross. There's two roles. First, protecting what's on the cross so that others don't kill it or harm it from dying. So the Roman guard is there so that it can actually stop the audience from causing it to die before it should. The second thing, which I think is pretty significant, is that his role, the Roman soldier, is to post himself so that this flesh, this man, does not come off the cross and get away. And this theologian said, this is, this is what our job is. When we crucify, we put him on the cross. Our sin nature, our flesh, we put it on the cross. Whatever is on that list, whatever's on that list that you feel like you identify with, oh, and by the way, if you weren't on that list, uh, there's a good note, because he adds, and things like these. So pride, it's on there, it's cool. Um, and so. And so he said, crucify those and then stand guard so that it doesn't come down. Here's the problem with us. We treat sin like a bad decision. I'm making bad decisions. No, you're sinning. Why is it a big deal? Why is it a big deal? Let's see, verse 21. What, is, what does Paul say in verse 21? Why is sin a big deal? He says this. 
that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Sin is not a bad decision. Sin is destructive and it will destroy you. Now hear me, I'm not talking about making one bad choice or, oh man, I fell, in, I fell into this habitual sin that I've, I've had in the past, but I defeated it, but this is one moment that it just came and, and just, I just fell to sin. I'm, I feel terrible, I'm repenting. That's not, it's talking about a lifestyle. Someone who is living in it and is refusing to repent and turn from. You, it says, we, if we live that life, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. See, we treat sin like a pet and we let it just hang around. And we need to realize that it is going to destroy us. It is going to take more than what we want to give. There was this lady and she had a pet, a pet snake. And it was a, a, a significant size python. And she didn't like live, it living in a cage. It was like her dog. And so she just kind of let it live in the apartment. And actually it would sleep in the bed with her. And, and she loved this, this, this snake. The interesting thing is that the snake refused to eat. So like any caring parent, she took it to the vet and asked, what's going on? He said, oh, you know, it's been two months. The snake won't eat. Well, just give it a couple of weeks, see what happens. She brings it back. The vet does all this analysis and says, you need to get rid of this snake. She said, no. You need to understand there's bond. I know it's kind of strange. You wouldn't understand it, but I love this snake, and so I'm not going to do that. No, no, no. You need to understand that this snake is actually trying to get ready to feast on you. That's why he hasn't been eating. See, so often this is how we treat sin. But sin is looking to devour you. It will take more than you want to give it. And it will destroy the life that you have. And I don't say this to be fearful or doomsday. I say this because it is the gospel truth and Jesus saved us from this. Why would we go back into slavery to sin when we can be under the kingship of Jesus? But it's this moment where I feel like, wow, this is a bummer message. <laughs> like, thanks, Paul. But then he, he gives us verse 25. It's so good, and this is the best part. And Jesus has set us free from sin, and he gives us his kingship to live under so that we can be free from sin. But the problem is we keep going back into sin. Anyone else? Paul says, there is good news. 
Verse 25, since we live by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every way. Earlier on, he says this. He says, the Holy Spirit guides your life so that you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. How do you live this life? It is so overwhelming. There are so many sins. It's so easy to sin. The Holy Spirit, that's how you do it, by the Spirit. By the Spirit. By the Holy Spirit, we do this. This is amazing news. The Holy Spirit gives us the ability to walk out our faith. And he says it, he does it in three ways for us to understand. He has, Paul gives us three words that actually give us an understanding of how to invite the Holy Spirit to move in our lives. First, in verse 16, he says this, guide. This word is better translated literally into walk. And when the Bible talks about walking, it isn't like stroll. It's, it, it talks about the walk of your life. And it means that you would submit your life to the Holy Spirit. It would mean that you are going to follow the Holy Spirit with your life. He is consuming your life and leading you. So that's, that's the first one, guide. The second one, probably better translated literally, guide. This is term, this is the exact Greek term they would use for a shepherd or herder when he leads his flock. Or a Roman guard leading a prisoner or a ship on the, on the water being led by the gust of wind. This is how we should see the Holy Spirit in our lives. He is guiding us. And even when we, this is, this is so cool, right? Even when we go to step out, the shepherd pulls us back. Have you ever done this? I remember, I remember being um, probably 18 and, and I just broken up from my relationship with this girl that I dated for over a year and, and I was like broken, I mean broken. And all I wanted to be is accepted and cool. And, and so these friends that I thought were cool invited me out and literally we're out there smoking weed and I think this is cool. And, I, and in that moment, I was, I was disgusted with where I was. I'm, I had everything I wanted. 18 years old, I was like, yes, I'm finally accepted. This is good. I'm going to just make my decisions, live my best life at 18. Go, go do as I want. No, you know what the next year of my life looked like? Looked like my best friend and I living in my basement, reading God's word and praying together. Oh yeah, we're pretty cool 19 year olds. Yeah. What are you doing Friday night? Praying, reading our Bible, getting turned. <laughs> right? Like, like, like this is, but this is what the Holy Spirit does. You start saying no to these things that you're like, shut up, man, this is what I want. But the Holy Spirit, he like a wind guides you where you should go. And then the final one, verse 25, it says step. This is actually a military term. It means in line. What's cool is that these other two are about what the Holy Spirit does in and through you. This last one is about you keeping in step with the Spirit. You must do the work to walk the line. You must commit yourself. Think of the Roman Empire walking. This is what Paul's talking about. Walking in military form. They have disciplined themselves. Do you not think that one of them was like, this is dumb, man. Who, just invite a, invent a car already. 
right? Like somebody wanted to just stop and be like, I'm not going to march like this. This is weird. But no. And so we must march to the cadence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Here's the message today. How do we respond to the message today? Because I have said a lot. Here's what Jesus is inviting us to. Submission. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, let me tell you, he is the greatest savior and the greatest king you will ever live under. If you're here and there is sin, you might know God, but there is sin that is destroying your life and you are living with it and hiding it from everyone. I need you to know that there is freedom in that. And how do you get the freedom? You crucify it to your flesh, but you must fall under submission to Christ. Maybe you're here and you've just been trying harder, right? This is what church says. Hey, you don't have the fruit of the spirit. You have sin in your life. Try harder. Go to, go to more groups. Read the Bible. Discipline yourself. Just do it. No, no, no. The gospel is this. By the spirit, you can be free. We hope that you are challenged and inspired by what you heard today and that you're willing to allow God to work in and through your life in bigger ways this week. We'd love to stay connected with you on social media, facebook.com slash mountainparkchurch and instagram.com slash mountainparkchurch. Finally, if you have a story of how God has been working in and through you, we'd love to hear it. Just email us at mystory@mp.church and tell us how God has been working in your life lately.